Hello and welcome to the Get It, Finding Success with the Hybrid Cloud in Canada podcast brought to you by CDW. I'm your host, KJ Burke, Principal Technology Strategist for CDW Canada. And for this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Jacques Berbeau, Systems Consultant for CDW Canada, and John Callalang, Solutions Architect at F5 Networks. Today, we're going to discuss infrastructure as code in the hybrid cloud. So, John, can you explain a little bit to me about operational trust and, and how operational trust is potentially a barrier for organizations trying to implement infrastructure as code and really adopt some of these uh, cloud practices? Absolutely. So operational trust to me, and this term is going to mean different things for different people, but operational trust to me means uh, that I have to be able to take whatever I'm working on and hand that over to another engineer or another team or another business unit at some point during its life cycle. If I'm going to say, build a solution, infrastructure as code, it's software, that eventually needs to go into production. We've seen this in different kinds of deployment mechanisms right now. Some other team is going to pick that up. They have to trust that something happened before them, right? And then push it into an environment that's going to go on. The barrier there is that for decades at this point, people have been working in this mentality that everything is in within their control. And that's not the way that it's going to be. There has to be some pieces in place to allow you to break down that up operational trust barrier. That could be right now adopting all the same tools, everybody being in the same kind of infrastructure, not meaning like a like hardware infrastructure or pieces like that, but the same kind of software tooling, the same kind of cornerstone tooling pieces that multiple teams could use, that would break it down. The other part is knowing that when I hand off a piece of code or when I work in a piece of code, the next tier is also going to use those same kind of testing mechanisms, the same kind of barriers, the same kind of validation suites, all of that stuff builds trust between two business units and it's gonna break down those barriers. I like that. I, I think one of the, the really interesting things there is it's it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword in, in that, you know, you're running infrastructure as code and you're gaining the advantage of being able to take those sort of templated ideas and, and functions and then reuse them over and over again. But you're right, you're having to put all the effort in up front to make sure that that template will work for everybody and in all of those different situations. So I like that description. So Jacques, you know, with the technologies that F5 has, with, with the various tooling that you work with customers on, how do you go about, you know, breaking down some of those barriers and, and how do you how do you really look at operational trust and really build up the, the solutions for customers as, as you're working with them through these problems? Yeah, that's a very good question. And honestly, those barriers are really, really, really high. As you said, decades of being fully in control, or at least thinking you've been fully in control of something as simple as an IP assignment becomes something that we actually have to deal with uh, and plan up front. Is this going to come, where's this information going to come from? Uh, do we have tooling around fetching that, that tiny piece of information? Are you willing to give up the control of you, you know, that particular IP address is going to be representative of this new thing that, that's put out there? Or are you going to finally give that up and say, the system can handle that part. Very, very difficult for, for people to wrap their heads around that. But by moving all that work up front, by being forced to plan what everything's going to look like and create the automation piece in front of all that planning and to utilize that planning, the trust can kind of come along with it and the barriers is found to just not be there anymore. It's not that we're actively breaking them down, we're just 
not putting up new ones, right? A new version of it when it comes to this. And honestly, uh, I found that even the most stubborn individuals in an environment will follow suit with how things are, are progressing because they're given the chance to actually focus on the real job at the end of the day and to do more interesting, exciting, forward-looking things uh, instead of having to be uh, you know, stuck in the day-to-day operations of things like as simple as an IP address assignment. Yeah, I like the concept there, and it is important. I think at the end of the day, the, the people that are part of your internal IT teams, they know the business better than, than any other competitive IT people out there. And so, you know, being able to uh, templatize and proceduralize their institutional knowledge, but then free them up to work on, you know, business value projects, that's, that's pretty powerful. And, and I think that goes a long way towards, you know, helping IT understand how to make those changes and how to make that jump. And so, so I want to shift a little bit because obviously, you know, infrastructure as code is not just something we want to do in the data center. We also want to do it across the public cloud. And, and also, it's not just traditional workloads. It's, it's also, you know, containers and, and looking at these, these new ways that we're deploying infrastructure. So, John, when you look at, at how, how can infrastructure as code address some of the underlying differences between those different uh, places that we all want to operate, whether it's in the public cloud or on-premises and whether it's, you know, legacy uh, VM-based solutions or container systems? Sure. So when we think of uh, infrastructure as code, most of the time, all of it gets lumped together, saying configuration management and device level management, all of those things get lumped together in this infrastructure as code branding, which is not the case at all. Really, you should be looking at it as two separate entities. The first entity saying infrastructure, the actual device management, the building of things, it's going to be slightly different between every public cloud or even a hybrid cloud environment. Right, AWS, Azure, Google, uh, name other public cloud provider. They all have slight variants on how things get deployed, but they're variants. They're not a whole new learning curve, right? I can take what I know in one of them, and it may be called something slightly different, but the tool is likely going to work the way that I want it to in the next cloud and the next one after that. After I've realized that it's more of a, a variant than a whole new learning curve for every cloud, then I can take on things like configuration as code which is still technically infrastructure if you're looking to put it on like, I don't know, an appliance level thing, right? Um, in that scenario, it's almost always transferable because the appliance or the infrastructure item is something that is meant to be run in the same degree across all of those clouds. So I don't have to relearn that capacity if I've already taken on that, that configuration management standpoint. So there's variance, right? And then there's configuration level management, which is almost holistically transferable between everywhere you're going to land that unit. So when I when I see building out environments, right, take on the first fact that infrastructure as code is going to baseline all of the people. The second part is that if I switch between environments, it's not a whole new learning curve. It's only a slight adjustment because it's only slightly different between those clouds. So if I take that on, a lot easier to move, a lot easier to manage, a lot easier for people collaboration, all of those things take into place for configuration as well as infrastructure. Yeah, John, so so maybe you can comment on this really quickly. It sounds like the, you know, a, a lot of the effort is up front. So, so we're putting up the effort to, to really buy into infrastructure as code, but then, you know, really taking advantage of that across our, our different areas that we want to do compute. You know, you can really uh, then leverage that across the board. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, 
every program manager or project manager in the history of project management is going to appreciate that you bring all of the pieces up front. And that has no change in the fact that you're adapting automation, right? That's all it really is, is figuring out how you're going to manage something during its life cycle and what are all of the barriers or the gates or the time intervals that you're going to adopt pro program or project management. That same thing happens in doing infrastructure as code. If I can bring all of the testing pieces, if I can bring all of the infrastructure items, if I can bring all of the individuals together as early as possible in the process, all of that upfront stuff contributes to making the process work better, which is exactly what Jacques was saying earlier. So yes, as much as you can bring upfront, people like to talk, people like to collaborate, right? Human nature. If you bring them all upfront, they're gonna share and they're gonna show the different ways that they've implemented things. All of that stuff will knock down let's say that operational trust that we were talking about just a second ago. Yeah, that, that brings up, you know, one of the concepts that I, I think I learned from F5 was the whole, you know, shifting left in the process and, and looking at how you bring those into your 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 DevOps pipeline. So, so I want to I want to put a pin in that because I want to come back to that after this. But Jacques, you know, I wanted to talk to you again, you know, from a practical side, you know, not only do you help train our, our customers on F5 and and but you're also on the front lines doing a lot of delivery, you know, for some of these these critical services our customers are building out. So so what are you seeing? How is infrastructure uh, as code, really creating a process and, and a way of dealing with these different areas of IT, whether that's the public cloud or whether it's on-premises, that's, that's driving value for our customers. So we're looking at driving value here, and really it comes down to repeatability, getting out of the change management paralysis uh, that, that tends to occur in older organizations that are, are leveraging a lot more legacy style infrastructure and just being able to get unstuck in their moving forward and in their developing of new offerings, uh, whatever that is for their particular business. I think that over time, a lot of errors occur, uh, right? When humans are, are heavily involved in things. And when something goes wrong, you know, people get burned then they don't want to do that again. And uh, you know, the longer that kind of thing happens, the more change paralysis can, can occur in a company uh, or in an organization. And, and at that point, no one wants to touch anything and no one wants to make any changes. But you can't do that and, and continue to grow and develop and build out your business. So the two sides of this coin can't coexist, right? Like they, you can't have one and be able to proceed with the other. And so I'll, I'll give you a little tale. I, I came across a, a client here who you know, was using F5, but had never even failed over their HA pair in over two and a half years um, due to fear, <laughs> okay? Which means that they weren't upgrading. They weren't keeping up with the security uh, CBEs that were being published. They weren't, they weren't protecting their, their new applications. And as a matter of fact, we discovered that the secondary unit didn't even have the entire config. So even if, if a failover had occurred, it would have gone bad. But it's because they were so scared, so paralyzed to do anything uh, with it that they, they, they couldn't make this happen. That is the value prop of, of going infrastructure as code and, or even like configuration management, like not even going full hog, whole hog into that, but like configuration management from a centralized location. It's that changes are done in such a controlled manner and there's you know testing that can happen along the way, uh, especially as you integrate into things like pipelines, that, that you can avoid all these kinds of errors. 
members and you can make sure that that people see the change happens without any negative consequences more much more often than not and just gets rid of that that full-on change paralysis that that really takes real deep root in a lot of organizations yeah it the the concept of failing fast and being able to to be agile and and you're right I, I I love how you're you're really supporting the change and and the the pace of change that's really needed for organizations to to be able to move quickly on these projects and and so so I want to come back to that that concept of of shifting left and and again you know you talk a little bit about making sure that that you're integrating with those pipelines how how are organizations actually accomplishing that like like are you as you're working with with organizations to do that you know what what are you seeing there honestly what i'm seeing is that there's a, a real delineation in that they're doing that for areas of the org that they were able to greenfield and just make it happen right from the get-go it tends to be very heavily tied to a new modern application that they are putting into play where they already have the flexibility of you know doing things with containers or over here in this uh, open stack a uh, stack and therefore they can they can do that whole bit end to end from the infrastructure that it all sits on all the way through to the constantly uh, re being redeployed app plainly. They much less willing to address the more traditional uh, infrastructure in those kinds of environments. There's like a hard wall there because it is daunting, honestly. One of the tenets of infrastructure as a service is that you you lock out manual access to to the devices, right, that are, are involved because you should really not be going in there as an administrator and tainting uh, your environment so that it no longer matches what you just deployed from the code. That is a hard pill to swallow in environments that have mixed environments. By having smaller, more agile deployments, like uh, F5's got VEs that are even right down to per-service licensing, right, up in the cloud, we avoid that. We avoid cross-contamination, right? We can we can slowly uh, move things to new infrastructure fully as code without necessarily having to dig up, you know, down to the foundations of what we had before on our legacy side. That's what I'm really seeing. And it is it is a conversation that you have to have right at the beginning. Let's start implementing infrastructure as code. But we, that doesn't mean we're going to dig up the entire data center and and re replow it uh, using Terraform, right? Like we, we're going to do this in a controlled manner for a small chunk and then grow that chunk into larger chunks and 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 move slowly stage by stage. I find that many times just the, the people turn white, right? When you start talking about going infrastructure as code, period, right? Because they, they, they start imagining that the entirety of their network is going to have to change over their entire way that they manage, you know, VMware and, you know, domain controllers, et cetera, is going to have to get roped into that. And that's really not the reality. <laughs> the reality is you can take advantage of a lot of this stuff without digging that deep. So one of the things I've heard as, as we explore, you know, again, infrastructure as code is the idea that, you know, had we used a modernized approach around building out the application and the underlying infrastructure, you know, leveraging application as code and infrastructure as code and configuration management, that we may have been able to help keep things in the cloud. And, and you know, one of the trends that our cloud report uh, really talked to is, is a large number of organizations have had to repatriate workloads from the cloud back into the data center. And so, so I just want to better understand, you know, is there the ability to 
take advantage of, of infrastructure's code and configuration management in the public cloud to, to retain workloads out there? And then, you know, what are your thoughts on that, John? Yes, and I'll leave that with a question mark at the end of yes, is I don't think that the environment should be constricting of infrastructure as code, right? Like if I'm going to place something out in a public cloud, it was likely placed out there because I either didn't have the technical resource to run it on premises, right? Or I needed some kind of uh, fast moving landing point because of a business model. Right. My business application, my business service needed to be out available to users faster than I could build infrastructure on premises. So I think this infrastructure as code question of would it have been remaining out there is a little bit in contention because it shouldn't really matter where it lives because you are adopting infrastructure as code. What's going to shift is the fact that because you have that now base knowledge, it could live where the best business model is. And if that best business model is to bring it back on premises, absolutely do that, right? We've seen a lot of companies, in, especially in your report that you just mentioned, come back for whatever reason, right? That's not saying that there's a fault of a public cloud service. It may just be, it's not in a region I need it to be, right? I needed to publish this service in you know, a region that doesn't exist in public cloud. And I built a data center, but I took all the knowledge with me. So it's not that learning these tools is going to force me to an environment. It totally is the other way learning the tools, building the employee rapport, building the employee knowledge, right? Building the individual contributor level that has happened over the last couple of years up makes it so that I can put things anywhere I want to go. And the business is going to be reflected of that. I didn't have individuals five years ago that understood Kubernetes, right? Or splitting out services and microservices. But now if I'm looking to hire someone, that's probably one of my first job requirements I go look for. Have they ever used kubeadmin? Have they ever used a kubectl command? Because now I have this time that's happened over the, over the history of the last five or six years where people have gained this knowledge and they could run that on premises, they could run that in a public cloud. It doesn't really matter, but what can matter more is that now I have the choice of how to affect the business better of where I run that thing. The idea around making the best business decision, I, I think that's a core, and, and I completely agree with that. I think at the end of the day, if IT is supporting and eliminating barriers and allowing the business to make the best possible decision at, the, at any given time, that's absolutely, I can't agree with that more. So, so Jacques, you know, when we look at infrastructure as code, part of what I think is, is it really helps drive the cloud operating model, you know, in the data center. And we were able to take some of those advantages that, you know, maybe historically have been only available in the hyperscaler and really do that properly in the data center as well. So, you know, how are you focusing in on that? And what are you seeing around, you know, the, the way that cloud has affected the way that we work within the data center? Well, uh, I think that the biggest part is that people kind of grew jealous of how this could easily be done in the cloud. The fact that all of this, you could just fill out a form and have a network show up somewhere, right? And be able to create subnets without, within that and then create some rules about how that traffic can flow with just a couple of, of clicks or the submission of a tiny bit of JSON or YAML, right, to, to some service somewhere. You know, when they come back on premise, they're like, how come I can't do that here? And that that really leads to uh, to, to us wanting to implement those kinds of working stacks on premise. These have been coming for a long time, just there was no appetite for it. Uh, it you know, when, when NSX came out years ago, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a way of doing this in the network, there wasn't a lot of 
interest, really. Like it, it was a hobby kind of thing. You know, for years, WestJet was the only company here in Canada that that would uh, even touch it. And, you know, they'd be speaking at all the all the conferences about it because, you know, they had the, the experience with it. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of uptake. But now that people have gotten a flavor of how it works in the cloud, they want to have that same kind of flexibility on premise. And whether that comes from something like Outposts, you know, where you're basically running a bit of AWS in, in a data center somewhere so that you can use exactly the same APIs. But if you're going full infrastructure as a service anyway, that can be on something completely different. A variant, like he was saying, like John was saying before, you know, it, it's a, just another variant uh, having that on our, our premise. So it could be OpenStack, it could be, you know, Kubernetes with Docker, it could be a variety of things. It doesn't really matter. You're creating an abstraction layer in between so that the end user, the developers, the, the, the self-service makes it look just as handy as it was in the cloud, which is fantastic for everyone because it really removes a lot of that friction. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking self-service the whole time and, and the desire for people to really be empowered to, to be able to do more on their own and, and move forward. And, and one of the things I really like that John mentioned earlier, and I hadn't really thought about it before this, uh, you know, this conversation was really supporting your project managers. And, and I just it was an aspect of this that was that was really enlightening to me because, you know, I, I think about, well, I want to help my my IT stakeholders that I'm talking to. You know, I want to help the uh, the C-level in the organization to be able to accomplish those goals faster by supporting those those IT initiatives. But, but I think project management it ha wasn't a uh, wasn't something I was thinking about. But you're right. Doing the same thing the same way every time uh, makes it predictable. It makes it, you know, easier to consume. So I definitely, I, I, I like the self-service aspect of that. You know, I like that we're not just servicing IT, we're focused on helping developers, we're focused on helping the, the project management teams, we're focused on just helping the business be more efficient in, in deployment of IT services. So I think all those were really interesting. And then, you know, the last question I have for both of you is, is really, you know, where are we going? What does the future look like? And, and what, what excites you about this space? Because if we think about, you know, we talked about infrastructure as code, we talked about, you know, configuration management, we talked about application as code. What are we going to see over the next 18 months, John? Like, what, what's, what's exciting you about this space? The most exciting part about this for me is the human capital. Uh, over the next two years, you're going to see more and more individuals with more and more knowledge. It's not going to be restricted to people that lived and worked at AWS or Azure or Google. Right? It's going to be the the Johns right? that work in a business someplace that have enough knowledge to do the things that those other individuals or companies I had to go ask help for could do on their own. The technology is going to adjust, right? Like we're we're probably, I think, five years into, I think, Kubernetes-ish, right? So it's got another two or three years before the next cycle of the next thing comes out, right? Roughly every seven to eight years. So you'll see some, some hardening. You'll see some production levels grow. You'll see some standardizations that have to happen more often in those tools and technologies. That'll all be nice because that will enable enterprise businesses, financial services, a lot of maybe healthcare, a lot of these companies and, and enterprise level areas be able to adopt those tools because it's, it's too moving for those companies right now. So you'll see it harden out just like we did with VMs, right? And then you'll see the human capital lift. So the human interests me a lot. Um, because of things like project management, as well as how you can take uh, a process and turn that into a workflow that gives you self-service, it gives you business uh, uh, dynamic uh, uh, abilities. So that's really, really fascinating. Where things harden will be interesting. Um, I think currently there's a 
uh, a technology pool of very, very similar resources. So you'll see those things overlap a little bit more, right? We're seeing some stuff even from, let's take the, the Kubernetes networking spec. There's some stuff in Calico and there's some stuff in Flannel. And for a few years, they were very dispersed. And then over the last couple of years, they've been colliding with each other, right? They now offer the same services. So we're gonna see some overlap. Um, that always breeds innovation. So one's gonna have to build more innovation than another. So you'll see some stuff towards the end. That's kind of interesting. Um, from infrastructure companies or from service delivery companies like, like uh, F5, you'll see some standardization across the platforms. Um, and I think that's really, really useful because every company, business, individual is going to be at different phases of all of these things. And we're gonna enable you to say, if I want and you are capable to run full infrastructure as code, that's great. You can have this service on that one. If you're not and you need it to be a software package, that's great. You can do the same exact thing in a software package. And you maybe are more familiar with that. You don't wanna do any of those things and you want it to be a SaaS, right? Put it in a SaaS-based offering and it will operate exactly the same in all three different phases. So as companies are coming towards this, let's say fruition point, you're seeing things like F5 try to do that. Right? And you'll see us do that better and better over the next probably 18 months um, across all of our dispersed business products. So that'll be leveling, hardening, user capital, all of those things are the really exciting parts right now. So invest in your people, right? Like that's gonna be the biggest part. I love that, investing in people. That's definitely something to be excited about. So that's that's great. And then and then Jacques, when you look at the space, you look at infrastructure as code, you look at, you know, where you're helping customers with today and, and looking forward into the future, you know, what's exciting you about this? Like what what are what, what gets you up in the morning and, and gets the the engine going? It's what gets me up in the morning, exactly. It's the excitement over the fact that the days of long change windows that start at 10 o'clock p.m. and go till 4 a.m. Uh, with a team of 35 testers, uh, each having to do their little unit tests will be a thing of the past because uh, this stuff will be automated properly. The, the, you won't have to be, you know, hey, uh, Joe, John didn't show up on the call and he had these three PVTs to do. Uh, you know. It, it, it all goes away. And the thing is, it's going to speed up the speed of business. It's going to make sure that the business can stop concentrating on IT and start concentrating on what it is they do. You know, you want an insurance company to be developing insurance stuff. You want a games company to be focused on developing its games. You, you, you want to be able to focus on your business. And that is not the business of having 35 people have to be paid overtime overnight just to type a few things and do a few web pages to make sure everything's still flowing. I may sound selfish, but I want that time back. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that everyone that I work with uh, all the time wants that as well. It's a super exciting time because not only will we eliminate those kinds of large, scary windows, they will be happening smaller, controlled, and will be correct every time. And, and we're not going to be paralyzed and, and, and in fear. And I do love that aspect about dragging the PMs into being extremely excited along with us, right? With all the planning that happens up front, good planning evades a lot of problems in any infrastructure. And I, I think that what's gonna come out of all of this is that we're gonna just have better planned 
better deployed, better architected solutions that aren't just designed, you know, at the lunch <laughs> that you're having uh, with your coworkers, you know, and implementing on Monday morning because there's a deadline. It's going to be properly thought through, much, much easier to maintain, and uh, just allow people to to focus on better things than, than troubleshooting and firefighting. That's what excites me. I like that. You know, John's talking about, uh, you know, training people. And then, Jacques, I think in a part you're talking about retaining people, you know, like keeping them happy. And then nobody wants to be doing 2 a.m. testing of, of applications. Uh, that's great. Well, we, you know, we covered a lot of ground here. You know, I wanted to thank you guys, John and, and Jacques, for, for joining me for this. For the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, be sure to check back next week for another episode of the Get It podcast. And for more information on the topics we discussed today, as well as additional episodes in the podcast series, please visit cdw.ca slash hybrid cloud podcast. Thank you very much.